I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and you're listening to Fifth Emission. It appears that congratulations are in order for the people of the San Francisco Bay Area. For the last few days, many people were cautiously predicting that we had flattened the curve of coronavirus cases, a holy grail of sorts for public health officials. That's some pretty extraordinary news, particularly as the virus continues to explode elsewhere in the United States. The president and others have warned that this week could be the most deadly so far. But if the virus is becoming controlled in the Bay Area and exploding elsewhere, what does that mean for us in the Bay Area? Joining me to talk about it is Aaron Alday. Aaron, you've been a regular on Fifth Emission over the last few weeks, and everybody who is a frequent listener knows that I'd like to tease you for being so cautious about some of your answers, um, particularly when I'm asking you to speculate on what's next. But you have written a story that's on sfchronicle.com right now where you actually say, yes, we can say that the Bay Area has flattened the curve. Yes, that that's correct. Or at least I can say confidently that we are we are approaching like it is it is having an effect. It is having the effect that we are going to flatten this thing out. Like we can say that for sure the numbers show that it is it is really working. I feel like I've been working out and finally showing that I'm losing weight. It's like that level of thing. When you, when you suffer, we're all staying at home, we're being good, and, and it seems to be working. So what does the data actually show in terms of uh, the illnesses and the hospitalizations? So I will say I, you know, I had a similar moment to like your, your weight loss comparison. I was doing some number crunching uh, at, at you know, Sunday night, I was going to say at home, but we're all at home. Um, but I was doing some number crunching and looking kind of week over week for the Bay Area. And I noticed, you know, the the numbers had been doubling the number of new cases. Every single week, we were seeing twice as many cases reported than the previous week. And then when I was looking at them Sunday night, I, it hit me that it was a 50% increase, which is still a big increase, but that's not doubling. In fact, that's a long ways from doubling. So that shows like a pretty startling you know, improvement for the whole Bay Area that, you know, we're still, we're still increasing. We're, we're, you know, we're not, that's why I'm kind of hesitant to say, well, it's not like we're quite flattening, but we're like reaching that point in the curve where you can see that, that top, you can see that plateau. It's like right here, you know, we're right on the cusp of it. Um, and we've definitely, you know, had this, this slackening off. Um, and that's just really apparent in the case counts. And it's, it's remarkable partly because, you know, everybody says we're we're increasing testing. So it was expected all along that we'd see an increase in case counts. And again, we are seeing increases in case counts, but it's not really as dramatically as anybody, you know, as it had been, as anybody would have expected. So the fact that we're seeing this sort of tapering off a little bit, even when we're doing more testing, presumably, is um is a really encouraging sign. And I will say for the first time, you know, the folks that I'm talking to you know, especially these infectious disease experts are very much like, yes, this is this is what we want to see. We need to get it even better. We need to see it truly plateau. We need to see it dropping off. But this is all really good. And we can point to sheltering in place as as being responsible. That's I mean, I, I, I think it's really encouraging. Even, you know, the, the amount of testing that we've done has exploded exponentially. I mean, we were doing a very bad job, as even the governor uh, said uh, over the weekend, we were doing a pretty bad job of testing people and getting test results back. We now know that the backlog is on its way to being 
resolved. And you would expect if you had a sevenfold increase or a tenfold increase, I'm not sure exactly what it was in testing that you would see commiserate increase by that much as well. Yeah. And I will um, say and that's not happening. Yeah. I will say, I will say not to be a total downer, but you know me, I'm always a downer. Um, you know, this, that's for the whole state, that backlog and the testing and statewide, you know, we're still seeing a pretty heavy increase you know, we're seeing some effects of shelter in place statewide, but not as much nearly as the Bay Area and, you know, places like San Francisco. So I, I looked at San Francisco and and San Francisco actually had the cases went down somewhat. The new cases reported last week over the previous week, which shocked me. It was only down by like three, three cases. But I think there were 221 cases reported last week and 224 the week before. And I actually asked, you know, the public health department about that. And they they've noticed that too. But, you know, they point out that they are still ramping up testing. And I think part of the problem with the testing is it still is sort of all over the place. So I don't and and, and San Francisco ha- isn't yet reporting its testing numbers. So we don't really know for sure that, say, San Francisco has seen that increase that we've seen statewide. We don't know if any of that is reflected in San Francisco. Um supposedly they're going to be launching, you know, giving us some of those numbers any minute now, maybe today or tomorrow. So we may have those answers soon. But um, but I, I would warn that, you know, we I think there are still pockets where we're not seeing the testing we'd like to see. And that could be reflected in the numbers to come. Yeah, maybe before we, we go on to talking about flattening the curve, you can explain a little about the status of, of data collection, because I know I've received a ton of emails from our readers who are really appreciative of our coronavirus tracker that we have on sfchronicle.com, and they all want more data, and they want more data. And what, one person emailed me today that says, can you please ask the governor for this sort of data? And I was like, well, I'm not sure even if the governor had that data that, that they would give it to us. Why is it so uh, frustrating to the public and to um, and to and to journalists that we're not getting this information that would be really helpful to put into context this where we are in this fight against the coronavirus? So there's there's a lot going on with that. Um, some of it is honestly, I think this thing is so dynamic and so chaotic that a lot of that data has been challenging for places to collect. So like hospital numbers has been really key um, to get a, to keep track of, you know, how many people are actually hospitalized with this, how overwhelmed in our, is our system. And I think that from the public health officials, experts, you know, that I talked to, they, they acknowledged me that they have trouble getting that, that they have trouble getting those numbers from the hospitals. It's like, you know, when they're just kind of handling these outbreaks and trying to just stay on top of things, I think just for them, sometimes getting a handle on the data can be kind of overwhelming. And so like the hospital data has actually gotten a lot better even just the last few days. I think they've started to make that a priority. I suspect it's from from the governor's office wanting to make that a priority so that those numbers are starting to emerge. But then you have other things like demographic data and, you know, like who's actually getting sick, what ages, um, you know, nobody releases anything on um, ethnicity by by race or ethnicity. And that, you know, arguably is a really important information to have because certain groups are being hit harder by this, um, we think, but we, you know, it's hard to come across the data to back that up. And even getting information about what cities, what communities are affected um, has been really hard. Most counties are you know, in the Bay Area don't report that information. And so it's really hard for people to get a sense of what's actually happening in their city, um, what what neighborhoods are really impacted by this, um, even to get a sense of how 
it's transmitting. Like, is it transmitting in healthcare settings? Is it transmitting, you know, just among household contexts? Like, how is this thing spreading in the community? We don't really get a good sense of that from the data, the little bit of data that's being reported. And how important are those flaws in data collection going to be to getting us getting us in the clear to where we can go on with some semblance of a normal life again? I will say that I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on getting us getting back to normal life. Uh, just just the data collection aspect of it. You know, they have essentially to get us to go back to normal life. What they want to see is basically no new cases coming up. They don't care. For, to make those decisions, it doesn't matter where those cases are or who they are. They just want to see essentially zero cases or at least such a low level that it's very manageable by the healthcare structure that, you know, there's no worry about it spreading beyond control, which is essentially zero. So in that sense, it doesn't really make a difference um, that that level of data detail being being out there. But I will say, you know, the testing thing is going to continue to be a huge problem because in order for us to emerge safely, you know, from this outbreak and go back to our lives, we're going to need to do a lot better job at identifying cases quickly. And that means really widespread testing, like just every, you know, pharmacy, you can just go in and get tested. Anytime you go to a doctor, like everywhere you want, you get tested Um and to be able to do that and then very quickly find those people, get them in isolation, like it's just going to take a lot of work. And so we do have to do a lot better with the testing to get us, you know, back to some sort of normal. Well, and I and in the second half of this po- podcast, we're going to talk about what we can expect that normal to look like. But but first, I want to ask a little more detail about this idea of flattening the curve. And one of the things that I've been really pondering is um, you see this hashtag flatten the curve. Um, Everybody's waiting for when we hit the peak so that we can start seeing cases go down. Is this more about not overwhelming the healthcare system or is it really about limiting deaths and and, um, major illnesses? What what are we really hoping for with flattening the curve? I would say it's more the former. I mean, obviously we want to, you know, avoid deaths, but a big part of, of, not overwhelming the healthcare system is to not have, you know, un- you hate to say it this way, but unnecessary deaths, people who are dying because our healthcare system is so overwhelmed and so stretched thin that we can't care for people who need care. But yeah, really, it's all about keeping it, they have this sort of line of capacity. And, and it's a little bit hard to get a sense of what that number is. But, you know, local local counties um, and the state, they, they know what our capacity is, and they're trying to keep the level of infections that need hospital care below that line. Um, and that just requires, I mean, the main thing is you don't want everybody getting sick all at the same time, which if you had us all going about our business, you know, interacting, partying, going to, you know, baseball games, whatever, everybody just getting sick, then you would just have, you know, I, I, unimaginable numbers of people sick all at once. And a lot of those people getting very sick, all of them needing hospital care at the same time and just disaster. What you saw in Italy, what we're starting to see in New York, um, that's what we're trying to avoid. And so instead, you know, if we can just kind of keep it at an even keel and so keep people apart, no matter what, even as we stretch this thing out, as we flatten this curve, there are still going to be people that get sick just because there's so much of this out in the community that they, you know, they believe that, you know, even if you're really, really careful and only going shopping once every couple of weeks or whatever, you know, you still could get sick. There are still people who are getting sick that way. And then, of course, there are people who aren't, 
you know, obeying orders or just people who need healthcare or in a healthcare setting getting infected that way. There's there are still plenty of ways people can become infected. Um, and so we're still going to see those numbers out there, but we're just trying to keep it from being every single person all at once, essentially. And when we talk about flattening the curve, we're we're talking about a plateau, but many of the times we see that graph that where cases shoot up and then they shoot back down. Is it is it possible to know what we what we're in right now? And 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 if we think that we maybe have hit the peak in the Bay Area, does that mean the fall is going to be as long as the ramp up? In other words, am I going to be in my house for another month? You're definitely going to be in your house for another month. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're under orders till April 3rd, right? That's the date. And we're only on, uh, no, we're in our houses till May 3rd. And we're only on April, whatever date it is. I lose track. Whatever date it is. <laughs> um, I would say there's, I mean, I think it's almost certain that we will be extended beyond May 3rd. Um, just because, you know, the number that gets, it's the, the date that gets bandied about is this sort of mid-April, mid to late April as being sort of the peak. Um, those are all based on models and and those things are notoriously wrong. So nobody really knows when this peak will be. And I even think that using the word peak is a little bit of a misnomer because the whole point of flattening this curve is that you don't really see a peak. It's just you kind of hit this very gentle plateau. Um, and I do think we won't, well, we should know when we're on it just because we'll, we, we will see like a very kind of even, you know, steady amount of cases. Um, but I don't know that we'll know right away. Like when we've hit the worst, I mean, ideally if things work as they should, we won't know it when we see it because everything will be fine. Um, you know, everybody will be sheltering in place and the hospitals will have an amount of patients that they can deal with and nobody will be, you know, dying unnecessarily. Um, but it's true that part of the problem with flattening the curve is it means that we'll have an extended kind of drop off. It's going to be that slow sort of pacing off. Unlike, you know, places that just went all out and everybody got sick at once. They're also going to have everybody recovering or, or dead, unfortunately, and then it'll be over. So it is sort of like a in and out deal that they get. And we're going to be in this for probably a lot longer than them. When we come back from this break, I want to ask you about what level of infection we can sustain when we go back to quote unquote normal. We'll take a break and be back right after this. Aaron, before we went to break, we were talking about the curve versus a plateau and all these, you know, things I haven't thought about since high school math very hard. Uh, what level of infection do you think that public health officials will be okay with? Do we have to get to zero new cases or, or will that depend city by city and county by county? Um, I think that's a really good question. And I think they're deliberately not telling us the answer to that right now, because partly they're probably still figuring that out. Um, and I also think it's those are hard questions. It's like hard answers for people to get. So if you say we need to get down to zero, that's that's a really tough goal to get to. Um, and it may be very, um, you know, it can be a lot. Of, it can be frustrating and people are already impatient and they're already really struggling with this shelter in place. Um, so I don't know that we want to tell people. I don't. I think that there's, you know, deliberate. They don't want to tell people that. But I also think I've certainly talked to infectious disease experts who say we don't need to get to zero. Um, that there is a sort of low level, if we can get back to where we were in February, right, where we just saw a couple cases here and there, 
that's manageable. That's something that public health can can keep tabs on. We can identify those cases, isolate them, and keep them from from taking off and and spurring another outbreak. So my sense is that they'll want to get back to like say February levels, um, and they'll want to see that sustained for a couple of weeks. Um, so we get to very low levels. We see them at very low levels for a couple of weeks, and then we can start talking about you know releasing everyone back out into the wild. Well, one of the things I think is so interesting, now you you pointed out San Francisco in particular for a city of its size um, has done extraordinarily well in, in limiting the number of new infections, which is really sort of surprising because when I was looking up uh, data on what the most densely populated U.S. cities are, San Francisco is number two in terms of big metro, big cities um, in terms of density right after New York. So you would be kind of surprised that we would be doing so well in San Francisco, even compared to some other Bay Area counties and elsewhere in the state. Why is that? So I think there are a few reasons. Um, one is we have a very aggressive public health department. So I think that they acted, I mean, they they put in shelter in place when there were only a handful of cases in San Francisco, or at least identified cases. So they you know, they went along with the whole rest of the Bay Area on that before there was really any substantial, um, at least reported cases in the city. So they kind of locked that up real fast. I think we also had a lot of big companies, big tech companies that were already taking their own aggressive moves before um, public health came on board. So, you know, big operations like Twitter, um, I think Salesforce, you know, some of those folks were having people work from home, you know, back in February before this was really... um, really taking off. So that made a big difference. We had a lot of our workers were were not in the city. I think another factor um, is we have an older population in San Francisco. It's one of the oldest. And it may be that some of those folks, knowing that they were they were especially vulnerable, were, you know, more inclined to kind of pay attention to that stuff early on, um, really take seriously that this was a this was a threat and that they, you know, they wanted to already kind of lock things down even before they were ordered to. So I think a lot of those factors play into it for sure. Also, it seems to me that in the Bay Area, we have many, many problems, but we tend to kind of agree on things like science and yes. and, 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 be, and believe doctors and scientific experts when they tell us things that you don't necessarily see reflective in the rest of the country. And one of the things that just not as a journalist, but as a person drives me crazy is when I see other parts of the country not adopting uh, really aggressive shelter-in-place measures. Does it mean that we are more likely to stay sheltering in place even longer in the Bay Area because of other places in the country that aren't following aggressive public health recommendations? That's a really interesting question. I don't think that that alone means we'll be sheltering in place longer. Um, But I will say one of the down, this is a weird downside, but one of the downsides of sheltering in place longer and getting, you know, that lower infection rate is come, let's say this thing, and there's, you know, there's arguments to be made that this, this coronavirus will go away. It has some seasonality. It'll, it'll fade away a little bit in the summertime or else our local outbreak will mostly be, this outbreak will be resolved by then. There's a lot of concern that it'll resurface in the fall you know, that we'll be dealing with this as a now a seasonal thing. And especially if other parts of the country, you know, are kind of staggered and they're maybe having outbreaks that come up in 
August or September or, you know, who knows when, and they're not doing a good job with sheltering in place. Well, we're going to have now this whole Bay Area population that is still pretty vulnerable to this because most of us weren't infected. Um, and so, in, you know, there's a potential for a new kind of outbreak to to ignite here if we're not careful. And that could lead to a whole new round of sheltering in place. I mean, that's definitely a possibility that that kind of looms out there. And obviously, everybody's going to be trying their hardest to keep that from happening again. But you're right in that what happens in other parts of the country, because the United States is essentially this this patchwork that that's made up of a whole bunch of, you know, nation states, you know, we can't control them. And we would have a hard time locking them out. So we're kind of a little bit at their mercy and them kind of doing their part to keep our people safe. Yeah. And it, and it seems that um, the a lack of strong federal direction is also playing a role in this because uh, even if we get through this period of time and we get enter into a summer lull, if the federal government hasn't learned some lessons about uniform shelter in place, um, it, that that can be very aggravating too. We'll be repeating this whole thing um, just in a few more months. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know there's already talk, I think of, you know, oh, we'll be back to having football again in the fall. And, you know, all of the, the experts that I talked to were just like, no, like there's just, you know, we cannot be having large gatherings essentially until we get a vaccine on board with this thing. We're going to, we can't be having, you know, stadiums full of people until we are really on top of this thing. And we are so far from that, that it just seems like ludicrous to be even having those conversations. And yet, you know, there's already talk at the federal level of, of course, you know, that will be coming back. Right. So in your reporting, what does it look like? What is a, what is a possible scenario or the most likely scenario about when and how we quote unquote return to normal and what does normal look like? So I think the key thing is normal is not going to be normal. It's not going to be what we left behind. Um, I think what that looks like is still, you know, those conversations are probably just starting now with our our public health leaders, the ones who will tell us what's going to go on. Um, I don't think anybody knows when that's going to happen. I you know, kind of in my mind, think July, but I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just a journalist. I don't know what, what's actually going to happen. Nobody, nobody will actually give me a date. That's just sort of my own, uh, you know, guessing um, what I want to happen, I guess. Um, But anyway, it will be probably, it'll be a staggered thing. So the way people describe it is you imagine how these sort of orders to, to social, social distancing unfolded. It's almost like a reverse process. Um, And so you know, we might see restaurants kind of reopening, but with limited capacity and, you know, coffee shops and bars and places like that. We'll see people going back to work, but it might be very much, you know, anybody who can work from home should continue to work from home and everybody else should to the best that they possibly can, you know, keep their distance in the workplace. So you might see like more people staggering their hours, um, you know, just creating larger spaces in in offices when at all possible. Uh, well, we may be encouraged to wear masks for um, or face coverings of some kind for a long period of, of time, at least when we're out kind of, you know, in, in a public space. We might see, you know, that these grocery stores and places where we congregate, that there will be rules in place for a long time to come about, you know, not clustering together. And, you know, that will kind of keep going until... Probably we won't see a total return to normal again until we have a vaccine for this. 
Um, and even then, there may be some things that are with us permanently, although that's so far down the line that who knows. Uh, to me, one of the biggest issues in the Bay Area that I was asking folks about when I was reporting last week was, you know, what do we do about public transit? Because I just cannot imagine a scenario where we get BART, you know, people can ride BART and not be standing packed in together. Um, and at least, you know, and admittedly, I, I haven't talked to BART officials about this yet, because I think that that's something, you know, they're still mired in what they're doing in the current situation. But that's certainly something they're going to need to plan for. Um, and the folks that I talked to were very much like, I, I don't know what BART does. That's that's a really tough call to make. Yeah, I, I think um, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about this and we'll just have to see where it goes in the future. Uh, yep. Aaron, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank health reporter Aaron Alday for being with us today. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.